and taught Sean how to do an overhead squat. Um, <laughs> and we were talking about how there are building blocks to doing things and that oftentimes we as me and my colleagues as pastors have failed you as uh, congregants in the churches that we lead by just saying like, hey, so you want to be a Christian? Great, jump in, now start doing that thing. And we don't ever teach you how or why. And so we started talking a little bit about spiritual disciplines last week. And I said that the next few weeks we would take a different discipline each week and talk about the hows and the whys of doing that particular discipline. I want to show you this book. It's called A Celebration of Discipline by Richard J. Foster. I would highly recommend this book to anybody who, in, who reads even a little bit but is interested in spiritual disciplines. It was written in the late 70s and became an instant classic. I mean, they say that a lot about things, but this really is a classic amongst Christian books. And so if you have any interest in learning about the practices of our faith beyond, uh, well, even learning more about prayer and worship and those sorts of things, this is a book that you ought to get. Uh, I used to see this sitting on my mom and dad's bookshelf when I was a kid and think like, oh man, i got to get rid of that book, because I thought it was like a celebration of disciplining children or something. <laughs> and uh, as, I, as I grew I mean, that's the truth, that's really what I thought. And so as I grew older, um, I learned, uh, well actually, as I became an adult, I learned about this book and what it actually is, and then I've read it a couple of times. You should read this book, it's great. And a lot of what I'm going to be talking about the next few weeks comes out of this let me read to you, this actually comes, this next little passage that I'm about to read, comes from the very first paragraph after the acknowledgments and the introduction, and then, this, and then the third paragraph also. This is what he writes. Superficiality is the curse of our age. So listen, I mean, listen to these words close. This was written in the 70s, and I think it's probably exponentially become true um, as each year passes. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. We must not be led to believe that the disciplines are only for spiritual giants and hence beyond our reach, or only for contemplatives who devote all of their time to prayer and meditation far from it. God intends the disciplines of the spiritual life to be for ordinary human beings, people who have jobs, who care for children, who wash dishes and mow lawns. In fact, the disciplines are best exercised in the midst of our relationships with our husband or wife, our brothers and sisters, our friends, and our neighbors. We're going to spend some time today talking about the hows and whys of fasting. And, and I know that there's like this popular thing in the world today of like, well, I'm going to fast, but I'm going to fast from Facebook, or I'm going to fast from Instagram, or I'm going to fast from watching television. Today, when we use the word, when, when I'm talking about the word fasting, we're talking about fasting from food, from eating, 
from the thing that we want to nourish our bodies, the thing that we often turn to in times of celebration. I want us to think about when you hear the word fasting, we are only this morning talking about food. So listen to these words from Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation and wisdom and courage to apply Scripture to our lives. Amen. Did you notice that Jesus says, when you fast? Not if you fast? There was an expectation on Jesus' part that his disciples would fast. That's who he was talking to in this passage, his disciples. The expectation was that they would fast. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, would not ordain someone to ministry like myself, unless they would commit to fasting every Wednesday and every Friday. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't know a single Methodist pastor that he would have ordained because I don't know any of us that fast twice a week. I, I for one, don't. And so there's this assumption in Christianity looking back from where we are now, and not just Christianity, all of the major world religions, there is an assumption that people of faith will fast. When I was going through the ordination process to become an elder in the United Methodist Church, which was like, man, I feel like half of my life in some ways, but really it was about six years. The way that it starts is you you sense a person, and you you may some somebody may be feeling this in this room, like a sense to call, like you're being called to ministry. Whatever that means, however that feels, whatever that looks like for you, you have this experience. And so what I did and what most people do is they go and they talk to their pastor and they talk about it. And then their pastor, if you're a Methodist and the pastor thinks you're really serious about it, they'll tell you to talk to the district superintendent. So this is a bunch of nerdy Methodist language. Basically, the Methodist church is divided up into regions. And within those regions, there are people called district superintendents. So my pastor is Eddie Rivera, and he's our district superintendent. And so I would tell you, after we have a conversation, like let's say Stuart's the person, he comes to me, hey, I, feel, I feel, think I'm being called to ministry. I'd say, that's cool, let's talk about it a little bit. Okay, now you need to write a letter to Eddie Rivera telling him this. Then Eddie would say to Stuart and I, work through a couple of books together, and then meet with the board of the church. And so Stuart would come to the board, and the board would help him discern whether he was being called to ministry or not. So it's like this whole communal thing. I'll try to hurry through this because it's kind of boring. And, and, and in that meeting where they're trying to decide whether Stuart, help Stuart decide whether he's really being called to ministry or not, I would say this, I would say to the board, if you can imagine at some point Stuart being pointed, appointed to Morningstar as the pastor here, like that doesn't mean this month or whatever, but if, if you think he could grow into a place where he could be the lead pastor of the church, then vote yes. And if you can't imagine that, then vote no. Typically, churches will vote yes because it's really hard to say no to someone. I have been in a room where they said no to someone, and it was a great gift that that, that board gave to that person, actually, because 
they were about to step into some things that they really weren't ready for. And so if the board votes yes, then they move on to what's called the District Committee of Ordained Ministry. And Stuart would spend a few years meeting a couple of times a year with that committee. And if that committee found, yeah, we think he's called to ministry, then he would move on to the Board of Ordained Ministry for the conference, like a larger geographic area. And he would spend a few years meeting with them a couple of times a year. And I've been on all of those committees throughout my career. But when I was going through ordination... Not one time did anybody, whether that be at the church that was, was saying, yeah, let's move him on to the district, or the district that was saying, yeah, let's move him on to the conference, not one time did anybody say, Ross, tell us about what happens when you pray. Not a single time did somebody say, when you study, how do you connect with God? Not a single time did anybody say, What's your, what's your meditation practice? Not a single time did somebody say, when you fast, what's that like for you? There were zero questions about spiritual disciplines, and there were zero questions about the depth of my faith and how deep I am as a person. It was all about what I was learning. And it was all about, so the intelligent side, and then what are your spiritual gifts? What are you good at? But there was no question of depth. And I wonder sometimes if the reason that Christianity has lost influence within the United States is because we've become so concerned about intelligence and giftedness and we've lost the concern about depth. And not just amongst pastors, amongst all of us. Because we want to have Bible studies so that we can learn a bunch of stuff, right? And we want to be taught how to do things so that we can have the knowledge of doing them. But the reality is... We need to be deep in our faith. So we're going to talk about fasting. And this is going to be a little give and take. You may have learned by now that I like to hear from you while I'm preaching. And I'll ask you questions. And I really am looking for answers. So fasting, uh, first off, now raise your hand if you've ever fasted for a spiritual reason. Uh, for those in the front, less than half of us, okay? And that's fine. I, that's, that's about what I expected. Um, and I could ha- make a joke now, but like, now you've received your reward. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I asked. So, um, tell me, can anybody think of somebody in the Bible who fasted? Good answer, Sunday school kids. <laughs> When? Somebody tell me when Jesus fasted. There you go. Good, good answer, youth pastor. Anybody besides somebody who works here? What would you say again? Give them a hint. Right after he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God led Jesus out into the wilderness where he fasted for... 40 days without food. Now, we have this understanding that he went 40 days without food because Scripture typically will tell us if somebody went on a complete fast from food and water. So Elijah fasted for 40 days from food and water. Really? How long can you survive without water? About three or four days. So if that's a true thing then something really crazy spiritual was going on with Elijah that was keeping him alive. 
Jesus, we think, fasted for 40 days with no food. Anybody else know of anybody who fasted in the Bible? Moses, anybody else? Jonah, anybody else? Daniel, you've heard of the Daniel fast? No, yes, that's a thing. Just start naming Bible characters. Go for it. And they fasted. Because there's an assumption that people would fast. The Bible never tells us how to fast. This is the only real instruction that's ever given on how to fast. And basically Jesus says, when you fast, don't go moping around and acting like a baby and complaining about being hungry. Just live your life and do your thing. Because if you mope around and act like a baby and people are like, oh my goodness, Ross is fasting. How spiritual is he? There's the reward for it. That's it. But if you just live your life and go through it, there's a chance that something greater will happen for you, that you'll have a deeper connection with God. So here's my next question. How many of you pray regularly? Now raise your hand again if every single time you pray you feel some sort of connection to God. Two, three, four, five people raise their hands for those of you sitting in the front. I don't. I pray regularly, and sometimes I feel a connection to God. Most times, I don't. The point of it, to me, is practicing the discipline of trying to spend some time in the presence of God and trying to recognize that God moves and works in my life. And that's kind of the end of it. And every once in a while, I feel a connection with God, and that's what kind of drives me back to praying. So I want to say this. If you choose to fast... Don't expect to become some sort of spiritual giant. Pete, if you fast, when you finish your fast, you're just going to be Pete. You won't be Saint Pete. You won't be anything other than just Pete. And and you may connect with God in some sort of way that changes you, and, and that's great. But you might not, and that's great also. That's the thing with disciplines. You just do the thing, and you trust the process. You trust the process, that God is going to work through it. So, here's some things you need to know. Fasting is not a commandment. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you must fast. But there are times in the Bible where people are called to fast, and there's an understanding that we will fast. So, we've talked a little bit about Scripture and fasting. Now let's talk a little bit about what fasting isn't. So fasting, in a spiritual way, isn't a weight loss tool. Okay? So if you say, hey, I'm going to fast for three days, and you step on the scale before you do it, you've already missed the point. It is not a weight loss tool. Also, it is not the same thing uh, well, fasting is not a way that you, you manipulate God and get God to do something for you. That's called a hunger strike. You heard of that before? Where people say, I will not eat until you let all the prisoners in this prison out of solitary confinement. That's a hunger strike. It's about power. And we don't do power plays with God. It's not what we do. If you fast and you say, I'm fasting so that God will answer this prayer, you've already missed the point. A fast is so that you can connect with the presence of God. Plain and simple. 
It's not so that you can become some sort of spiritual giant. It's not so that you can say, I'm a deep person of faith because I fast. It's just simply so that you can connect with the Spirit of God. In fact, you may become more humble and in the process of fasting may figure out that you're a mess of a person and need to figure some things out. So we've talked about what fasting isn't. We've talked a little bit about what fasting is. We've talked about fasting in Scripture. Now let's talk about the nuts and bolts of it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This coming Thursday, fast. If you've got health problems and you you can't not eat, then don't listen to me. Eat. But I would be interested to see if we fasted this coming Thursday and had conversations with one another about the experience, how, what we would hear and what we would learn. So here's what I'm proposing. Wednesday night, eat a regular meal. Thursday morning, wake up and eat a light breakfast. Don't eat lunch and don't eat dinner. And then Friday morning, wake up and eat breakfast. You can do this if you're 13 years old. This is something that is possible for anybody to do. I wouldn't recommend it for a small child, obviously. So Thursday, you're not going to eat lunch, and you're not going to eat dinner. What are you going to do in place of dinner and lunch, or lunch and dinner? You can pray. You can read your Bible. You can go for a walk and try to notice something you've never noticed before. You can sit on your back porch and watch the birds land in the trees. You can do whatever it is that you want that is helping you connect with God in some way. It may be go for a run if you're a person who likes to run. Because it's just two meals that you're missing. It's not like you have to cave in and not do anything physical during that time. But during the time that you typically would be preparing a meal and consuming that meal, do something of a spiritual nature that is spiritual for you. I'm not going to prescribe to you what that thing should be. You know what it should be. So I would say, if you're a person who's serious about practicing the discipline of fasting, do that sort of fast. It's a short fast for three or four, do it three or four times. And then after the fourth time you do it, take a break. And then the next time you do it, do a longer fast. And it's a 24 hour fast. And so what you would do is you would eat dinner on, let's say, Wednesday night. You don't eat anything at all on Thursday, and then you break your fast, breakfast, breakfast on Friday morning. And so you have an entire day where instead of preparing and consuming meals, you're using that time as a, in a, as a spiritual practice of walking and listening and reading and praying and all of that sort of thing. And if you do that several times, then the very next step is a 72-hour fast where for three days you don't eat anything. Now, you could survive without drinking for three days. I wouldn't recommend it. You'll get dehydrated, and that's no fun. So what you do in place is you could drink some juice. You could drink some water. You might get a funny taste in your mouth, and so you would squeeze some lemon or lime into water and drink that to help you get that funny taste out of your mouth. That's your body starting to rid itself of toxins. What happens when you fast 
is you start seeing a lot more McDonald's and Pizza Hut commercials. <laughs> For one, you thought I was going to say something really deep. <laughs> you, start seeing, you start seeing things and being tempted by things. And you also have to practice a lot of control because your blood sugar drops and you start to get grumpy. And so you have to really practice some self-control on how you interact with other people, which is something we ought to be doing anyway, right? We put ourselves into a tough situation so that we can get better at it when it's easy. But also what happens is oftentimes God will start to reveal things to you about yourself that you wouldn't notice otherwise because you're kind of becoming more reliant on God. And so it may be that God shows you something that you need to give up doing, like a habit in your life. And maybe it shows you, God shows you something about yourself that is broken that you need to spend some time dealing with. And maybe nothing happens. And you just have done a discipline for the sake of the discipline. And that is okay also. See, there's a lot of freedom in practicing these things. What happens sometimes is we lay down a law and say, this is the only way that this can happen. And then, and then the law becomes the point and not the actual discipline. And that's what we want to avoid. I used to work with a guy at Platte Park Church in Denver, Colorado. His name was Tim Grotty. And we were talking about fasting one time. And he said that when he was a missionary in China, that he fasted for 40 days once. Can you imagine? He went 40 days without eating. So I, I asked him, I was like, well, what was that like? And he said, well, the first few days were like any normal fast. where he got a little bit hungry, and then the hunger pangs went away. And he said, and then he got a lot of energy and he got a lot of focus, and he felt really, really good. And he said, and then, after about day seven or eight, he started to, um, he, he said his breath started to smell bad, and his tongue felt like it had some sort of coating on it, and that was his body ridding itself of toxins. And he said, and then, once that ended, the hunger pains came back, and that's when it took a lot of real discipline for him. And he said about day 25 to 30, somewhere in there, his senses, like the sense of smell and the sense of taste, became acutely strong. And he told me that one day he was walking down the street, and about three blocks of he ahead of him was a, a coffee shop, but it was, it was tea. He was in China. And he could smell the tea from three blocks away. And so when he broke his fast, everything tasted better, and everything smelled better, and his senses just kind of came alive in the process of that. So then I started asking him, well, what, what, was, what was happening spiritually? And he said, basically what happened is that toward the end of his fast, he felt a connection to God that drove him to fasting regularly. So he said, I'll never fast again for 40 days. But he said, I would fast regularly because of what happened to me toward the end of that 40-day fast. There is no promise that anything like that will happen to you if you choose to fast. But here is the promise that I'll make to you. You, you will be glad that you took the time and put the effort in to becoming something more than what you are right now.
You will not regret that. But you'll never know that feeling if you don't try it. My prayer for us is that we quit worrying about how intelligent we can become and then we stop worrying about how gifted we might be. By the way, spiritual gifts aren't for us. Whatever your spiritual gift may or may not be, it's not for you. It's for other people. And so we're not concerned about those sorts of things. My prayer for us is that we would do the work that it takes to become deep people. That our faith is rich and our faith is alive, and that our faith functions in the world in a way that makes a difference. In the name of the Father, Son.